you bloodthirsty film nerds. I'm Eli M, and this is the Movie Massacre Podcast. Munchkins, welcome to episode four of the Movie Massacre podcast. This is the show that is made by film nerds for film nerds. Now, regardless of whether or not you consider yourself to be a film aficionado, I think that when you sit down and have a conversation about a particular film that moves you, either in a good way or in a bad way, there's always some wonderful surprises that can come out of that conversation that are worth examining. So if there's a film or a film-related topic out there that you, my darling listeners, would like to discuss, don't be shy. Uh, Get in touch with me and we can have a proper conversation. The email address is elismoviemassacre at gmail.com. That's E-L-I-S, moviemassacre, all one word. Or you can tweeter me at Eli's Massacre. Tweeter, twit, tweet, whatever. Okay, so on today's show, we are going to be talking about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And I've got Cal back in the saddle, helping me take apart the very complex storyline. This film is directed by Sweden's Thomas Alfredson. Before this film, he directed the extremely well-received movie called Let the Right One In. And while both films are miles apart in subject and genre and just the sheer scale of the films, um, I think both projects put a lot of faith in the intelligence of their audience. And he, the director, manages to elicit some stunning performances from all of his actors, no matter um, what their age or, or where they come from. One performance in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy that Cal and I did not get to discuss is John Hurt, um, who is only in a few scenes but manages to steal every frickin' one that he's in. It's quite something. And a big spoiler alert before you continue listening, it is nearly impossible to discuss this film without giving away any major plot points. So if you haven't yet seen the film, proceed with caution. Or better yet, Press pause, go watch it, and then come back. All right, here's my conversation with Cal. Um, hey, Cal, how's it going? Good, good. Glad um, to be back. Glad to be back in the saddle. I hear that, um, aside from being an archivist and expert mouse killer, yes. you're also a huge James Bond enthusiast. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes me incredibly well-suited to uh, evaluate spy movies. What is it about James Bond that turns you on? The women, absolutely the women. (laughs) Not James Bond. No, James Bond frustrates me because James Bond is good at everything. There's nothing that I'm better than him at. No. Or anyone. There's nothing that anyone is better than him at. He'll always win. Incredibly frustrating, yeah. 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 I think that your James Bond knowledge... They're all right over there. I do. That's the entire collection. I can see them all. The entire arsenal. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Oh dear. All right, well, we're going to talk about not James Bond, but I thought James Bond might be an interesting element to add to this discussion, because we're talking about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, starring some superb cast members, including Gary Oldman. Yeah. I mean, Sirius Black. I mean, Gary Oldman. It's confusing in my head. Still that terrorist bastard from Air Force One to me. (laughs) Uh, so hey Cal, what'd you think of the movie? 
You've seen it twice already, I've right? I've seen it twice, yeah. Uh, I actually really liked it a lot more the second time, only because it made uh, a lot more sense the second time. Like, everything was there the first time, but it's hard to follow. A lot happens. Yeah, and you don't uh, know... Not very much is said. And you don't know where it's going. Yeah, there's not a huge amount of like, exposition. There's not a huge amount of introduction mm -hmm. or to the characters, to the plot. There's not a huge amount of explanation as the plot's progressing. It's not hugely accessible, but everything is there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I definitely, the second time around made a heck of a lot more sense. Yeah, they really throw you in feet first. Yeah, for sure. What stood out about this film for you, initially? I think, like, the realism got to me. Like, it's the not... The anti-James Bond Yeah, Bondness. exactly, the anti-James Bond. The, yeah. the sort of bookishness of all the characters in it. They're not super spies, they're not tall, good-looking, sexy guys with... Uh, well, yeah, Colin Firth, I guess, is there, but even him, right? <laughs> Tom Hardy. Yeah, okay, so, right. But, like, the main yeah. characters, right? Your main, uh... Yeah, they're, they're, they're the opposite of uh, this, this hardened British super agent. Yeah. They're... Paper pushers. Well, they're, they're fallible. They're yeah. ultimately very, very fallible. Yeah. I don't think you can be very fallible, but anyway. Yeah, no, I think that just the realism and the fact that nothing was very... Nothing was glamorized. I was just thinking that word glamour. Yeah. Like, it was very anti-glamour. And, yeah. and I don't know if you um, noticed this more the second time around, but when I was watching it, I felt that um, not only are the characters very anti-glamorous, and but the whole <laughs> setting and everything that they wear and everything that's in the rooms around them is very anti-glamorous. It's yeah. the opposite of glamour, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, um, what I love about this director is that he's very subtle, um, but it doesn't mean that it's minimal. There's a lot of detail in all the shots, both mm -hmm. that push the plot forward and also put you in the context. There's always stuff going on in the background and there's always like little interesting things happening like for all around the edges of the frame. Um, but it's all very anti-glamorous. It looks dated for the 70s, you know? Yeah, everything's kind of run down and dilapidated, and I think that goes into, well, the, the, the glamour thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're not wearing flashy clothing, they're not driving sexy cars, they're yeah, just... Yeah, they're not in, like, Armani suits or whatever. Yeah, no, they're just pencil pushers and paper pushers and, uh... Yeah, I don't know, I got a kick out of that. I, I just think the, the character smiling, I remember this, I read the book too a number of years ago, so don't quiz me on it, but mm -hmm. um, he's just like such a superhero because he's not a superhero at all. He's mm -hmm. he's this middle-aged man, the other, you know, the wrong side of middle age, uh, kind of being elbowed out of his career, uh, kind of a pathetic person in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his wife is uh, uh, cheating on him, um, like, egregiously yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's still uh, totally in love with her and uh, getting pushed around kind of by everyone he he comes across well he doesn't ever but not really, really right like he's totally in control well, of... he, he he doesn't ever stick up for himself or he's not one yeah. to lash out but he but he's bottling it all up and he's taking he's taking notes he's taking names mm -hmm. and yeah uh... taking names is a good way to, to yeah. think. he's sort of he's almost confident in his ability to outsmart but even I, I think one of the scenes that struck me is when he uh, so he gets turfed and and he's like going right, and doing right his exercising yeah and he's like struggling and swimming through this little pond in the middle <laughs> of nowhere and it's just like the most unattractive yeah. scene where he looks like a wounded duck kind of like <laughs> maneuvering through the water it looks like he's just barely gonna make it yeah have every opportunity to make a superhero who looks like a superhero who is everything james bond is and he is everything james bond isn't yeah um but i i suspect that if you canvas cold war 
soldiers uh, and the spies and the, mm -hmm. the people who were involved in all those dirty tricks, they would be much more like Smiley than they would like James Bond. Well, yes, I think most people would be more like Smiley than James yeah. Bond. The biggest criticism I've heard, or rather sort of um, holdback that I've heard about this film from people, is that it is too complicated. People seem to be unwilling to delve into it. But I found that when I was watching it, and, it, and what makes it complicated is that there is a lot of names. This always throws me in, no matter how complex or simple a movie is, I have, I'm like, the worst with with character names. Yeah. Especially when they all refer to each other as last names. I'm like, I am so lost right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and you you don't meet these people really, right? Like yeah. The Tinker and Taylor everyone, soldier. Yeah. Everyone uh, gets gets ref like referred to once. And then you have to know who they are, their hierarchy, where they sit in the in the big yeah. picture, where their loyalties are. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you actually don't really have to know all of it because it will tell you as long as you're willing to let them tell you. Yeah. They will tell you eventually. Yeah. You know. It's a type of movie that you watch the first time and you say, okay, yeah, like I understood broadly speaking what was going mm -hmm. on. Um, there were a lot of little details that I'm confused about and things that look like loose ends, but I'm sure aren't. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, you watch it that second time you go, oh, actually, no, everything was really covered off quite neatly. Yeah. And um, everything makes a lot more sense once you can kind of focus in on those mm -hmm. areas that the first time left you uh, confused. There's a lot of them. None, none are coming to mind right now. There's certainly other movies that... Well, uh, I mean, I can think of something like Memento. I, yeah. It'll put a lot of people off because um, that's Christopher Nolan's big breakout film. It put a lot of people off because they're like, it's too confusing. But in fact... It, it is happens. Confusing, it, but, it's very confusing, yeah. but it happens backwards, and there's a logic to it. And if yeah. you're open to having the logic to it, you know, open to hearing what their logic is going to be. Yeah. Where did you get this? I didn't. Percy and his little cabal walked in with it. Look, control. Shut up. Style appalling. Patently a fabrication from beginning to end. Just could be the real thing. If it's genuine, it's gold dust. Because its topicality makes it suspect. Smiley is suspicious, Percy. Where did it come from? What's the access? A new secret source of mine. But how could he possibly have access? He has access to the most sensitive levels of policy making. We've named the operation Witchcraft. Well, Percy and his pals bypassed us, Smiley, gone straight to the minister. Percy has been allowed to keep the identity of his new friend. Top secret. Can I tell you what scene stood out the most to me and yes. impacted me the most? Enlightened me. Uh, it's the scene when you are first introduced to the character who's being tortured. The scene when it cuts, well, he's, I guess he's, I guess it's when he's telling his story to Gary Oldman, uh -huh. right? And, uh, like, Gary Oldman figures out that he's still alive. And, uh, yeah, it goes and visits him. He goes and visits him, and he talks about how he was tortured by the Russians. And what really struck me with this scene is that it starts on this old, faded, pink and baby blue floral wallpaper. It starts on this wallpaper, and it's peeled, and it looks gross, and there's like stains on it, which you're not quite sure what are, and then you figure out later what the yep. stains are. And you see, like, I guess it's a record player and a cord, and the camera pans along the cord. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah to the headphones that are sitting on this man who looks so 
distraught. Like his face is looks exhausted and traumatized. They, they've got noise cancellation headphones on his ears and they're blasting music on and off alternatively. And the impression that you get is that it's he's like been, screeching cats and yeah, shit like Yeah, it's that. just like awful sounds. And they're, they're, you get the impression that they're basically keeping him awake with like by like startling him with all these sounds. Yeah. But the worst part about that scene that really killed me was the woman sitting in the corner reading a paper. Yeah, the creepy old woman. <laughs> it's giving you all the information you need to understand what's happening, and you, as a normal human being, don't want to understand it. It almost makes it even more horrific. In fact, the two words to describe this film were sort of this juxtaposition between horror and banality. There's yeah. this weird horror in all this banality that's yeah. going on. These sort of... I guess these daily routines that they all do that have this such these huge horrific impacts on people. Mm -hmm. I like that the movie didn't spell everything out for you. I, I appreciate movies that do that where everything is there. They don't spell it out for you. Mm -hmm. It's just alluded to, but it's hugely significant. The movie doesn't really work unless you figure out how all those little pieces are put together. And in a way, because it lets you you put it together yeah it almost allows you to engage on an emotional level with yeah all these characters because a lot of the reason things happen is not because a pressed a button that caused b yeah it's because of their human emotions that get in the way with all these bureaucratic things that they're supposed to be doing yeah yeah exactly and it would be difficult to understand why what happens happens if you weren't able to engage with them on an emotional level yeah. if you were just told this is what happened. Yeah. You'd be like, well, that guy's an idiot. Why would you do that? I really enjoyed the the party scene. It was like a Christmas party or something. It came yes. back to that scene. Yes. It I was think one three of the, or four times. It was, yeah, it was one of the scenes, the flashbacks that they go back yeah. to quite often. But it's like in that scene, every character, is, you, you know everything about every character. Yeah. You, you realize that Smiley is a nice man who's getting completely shafted by his wife. You find out the three key guys who are also in the circus there who replace the control. You see their paranoia as they're, they're, they're looking around and they're just very, you can tell, okay, these guys are power hungry little fuckers. You, you get, that's as close I think as you get that relationship being spelled out between Colin Firth and and the agent, um, I forget what his name, not Proudfoot, but... Uh, I don't remember his name. It's the agent that ends up being tortured. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You sort of realize, that, okay, there's something homoerotic going on between them. It's, if they don't have that relationship, the movie doesn't work, or the plot doesn't work. Uh, um, that's that's how he sells himself out, right? Uh, actually, I'm curious. Did you, did you pick up on, on that relationship before it's revealed? Watching it a second time, were you able to see anything that indicated to that? Because I wasn't... I wasn't uh, expecting it. Um, no. Well, I, I, mean, knew, I knew it from the book, though, so oh, I, I, I was aware that they had... And I think the book made it more... I don't remember. I remember it being not not quite ambiguous. Like, you kind of knew that there was something going on. But well, I think the books was... made it look more like they were very, very, very good friends who were so close that... And people talked about, uh, maybe there's something else yeah. going on. Whereas the movie made it look like... There almost definitely is something else going on. I guess I picked up on it when, when he they're searching his apartment and he finds a picture. Colin Firth finds a picture of the two of them. Yeah. And he, kind of tucks it in. But again, and he looks at it sort of longingly or remorsefully. Yeah, he looks uh, at it with sadness. 
Yeah, but it's it's so neat. Like those that relationship is so is such an interesting one. The ambiguity of it is so interesting. In the book, uh, I mean, in the end he he kills him, right? Like, mm-hmm. He's the one yeah, who yeah. kills him. Whether he kills him out of uh, revenge or mercy, or uh, a little bit of both, or a little bit of both. Yeah, that it's unclear, I suppose. But it's very clear that you know he, he shoots him. Whereas I think in the book it was much more. Uh, ambiguous as to who killed him it was kind of you oh, would okay. assume that it would be that guy but i was really surprised and in a good way to see that um homoeroticness was a big part of the film it's not often that you see a movie about that time period that sort of acknowledges that acknowledges that going on. It, yeah. yeah exactly that acknowledges that that was a part of life unless it's the movie that's explicitly about homoeroticism yeah. in the 70s or in the 50s or whatever. I was really pleased to see that be a part, a big part of the storyline and not in a way where um, that you often see in Hollywood where the villain is sort of become twisted by his conflict about his homosexuality and he does all kinds of evil things because he's just so conflicted about his desire for the cock and he can't handle it. Whoa. Wow, <laughs> I'm sorry. Virgin ears. <laughs> you say way worse things than I do. On camera. <laughs> anyway, I was just happy to see that, uh, or I was pleased with how the subject matter was treated because it it has this sort of key plot point, but it introduces it before you even know that it's a key plot point, right? With the agent that the Smiley agent. decides yeah. to take on as his, Gwillem. I guess, apprentice or yeah. aide or. It's kind of it's kind of weird though because he in the book was he was like rampantly heterosexual in the book and that was like one of his character things was like that he was always getting some action mm-hmm. and was doing very well with the ladies and then the movie they make it they turned it around which I thought may, might have been a nod to try and key the viewer on yeah. to be alert for this yeah and that's what I because I was thinking about that uh, quite a bit and um, it's not a huge plot point but it, it, it has two very important purposes I think that contribute to what we were saying earlier which is allows you to engage in the emotions of these characters who do not talk about what they're feeling ultimately right right, right? yeah um, so the scene in the movie that we're talking about is Smiley says to this guy, he uh, he says, you better take care of your, any personal loose ends or something to that effect. Yeah. And essentially he says, you better wrap up anything you don't want people to know about because they're going to start to follow you and know about it. Yeah. And the scene is just simply him coming up behind a man in an apartment looking really sad. And the next scene is this man saying, is it something that I did or something to that effect? Yeah, is there another and man? Walking, is, yeah. is there somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially implying that he broke up with him because he didn't want this to be known. And I think that... He didn't want it to be a liability. He didn't want it to be... Yeah. And and I think that sets you up to, like you said, first of all, just turns you on to that there is this closeted universe that's happening within the context of the storyline. So, little mini alert there. The other thing that I think is really interesting and we haven't talked about yet is it introduces this really interesting dynamic when they encounter Tom Hardy's character. Who is this, like, kind of on-the-streets kind of agent guy. Yeah, the field agent. Yeah, and he, his storyline is that he was supposed to do this task, and he fell for the girl. And now he's gone AWOL because he wants to try and get the girl out. 
he's telling this story to Smiley. You know, Smiley is very unsympathetic towards this Tom Hardy's character, and he keeps going, we have to get this girl out, and he's kind of like, I don't fucking care about this girl. You yeah, know, you can I, see he's so cruel, right? Because yeah. Because he knows at the end, he, he knows, knows the girl's dead, dead and yeah. he still tells the guy because he needs him to go and do a thing. Yeah. He basically lets him believe that he's has a chance with this girl. Yeah. And at one level, you can be like, it could work against Smiley as a character that you would sympathize with because you're like, well, that's very cruel. But at the same time you're like well you just met this girl and yet look at all these other people who've had to give up their entire livelihood their, well their entire lives yeah. their personal lives look at what all these other people have had to sacrifice and you can't handle one fucking girl that you met over a week in whatever yeah. like, but that's the thing with like know? smiley though and i and i think it's more what what you said the first time is mm-hmm. that it sh- it shows his rather cruel streak and he yeah. has a cruel streak, and it doesn't mean that he's a cruel character. It means that he's hugely professional. Because the film is so well made and so well constructed with all these little pieces, I don't think he comes off ever as cruel. No, I think he, I think comes, he comes off, off as, as calculating and professional, and along with that goes a certain cruelty that's necessary for the job that's not over the top, but he doesn't... But I, I would never even use the word cruel. I don't find there's anything cruel about it. I find that he's someone who is forced to look at the bigger picture oh. and has had to witness bear witness to so much misery that he the little things that are a big deal for one person mm. they don't matter anymore because he's like yeah but look at all this other shit that i'm forced to witness to and i i i i i feel um I don't know, I, I really felt close to him, or I felt very sympathetic towards him as a character, despite the fact that he is very unemotional mm. and very cut off. Like, I, I found he was very cruel in particular, like the scene where he had, like he had the president's wife and daughter in front of them, like tied up, and then, and then he shot the press secretary right in front of them. Smiley are, shoots the press secretary? Yeah. What? Oh, sorry, I'm getting confused with Air Force One again. Oh. I'm so biased by Air Force God. One. Gary Oldman is yeah. not the same as Smiley. I actually, like, <laughs> when I watched the movies, I had, like, oh, no, he's, there's something wrong. There's something bad about him. Because of Air Force One, it's corrupted me. <laughs> Gary Oldman. Really? I just, yeah, I just think that he's he just wants that war criminal to be released from jail so badly. He'll do anything. Anything. I think the movies take place in different decades, Cal. Yeah, that's true. I know what I am to the circus. I'm one of the scalp hunters, someone that you can hand your dirty little jobs to. I just... I just wanted to bring this one in myself. Well, I understand how you felt. You wanted to do something. I said that she claimed to have information vital to the safeguarding of the circus. Anything more? I said that she had information concerning a double agent. Look, I just wanted to get the proper attention. And I... I told him that this was the reason why I had not come home. It wasn't that I defected or anything. I feel like this is the feminist version of James Bond. And that it's the opposite of James Bond. Yeah, I suppose you can say that in the sense that it takes a lot of the machoism out of it. Is there a word for that machoism? Is machismo? Machismo. I don't know. Yeah, it takes the unrealistic, testosterone driven 
Machismo. Machismo. Out or of even misogynism. The universe. Yeah. yeah, and certainly misogynism, yeah, out of the universe and makes it much more realistic. I, I mentioned this earlier, but th- I was really impressed with the composition of the images in this film because there is a lot of stuff that happens in the background that is outside of what is going on in the foreground. There's a lot of really interesting graffiti. I didn't notice that. Um, often in scenes where they're going into like some abandoned building or they're going down a street, the uh, the camera makes a point of including in the frame various signs or actions that are going on behind them. And at one point in the film, there's a big sign in the background that says, the future is female, which gave me a little rush, made me happy. But I know that you didn't pick up on it, so it's okay. Nah. You weren't paying. You were too busy looking at Gary Oldman. I was too too busy, yeah, waiting for someone to take their clothes off in the movie. Nobody Boobs. takes their clothes off in this movie, except for Gary Oldman when he goes for a swim. No, 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 Blondie. Uh, Blondie gets naked. The girl, oh, Tom she does Hardy. Get, oh yeah, Tom, she does get naked with Tom Hardy. Yeah. Oh well. A neat approach to the Cold War, which often gets blown out of proportion with. Tom Clancy movies and James Bond movies and everything. Where the world is constantly yeah, on the edge of gun, nuclear where they're war, literally yeah. just shooting down <laughs> Russian planes. Yeah. Um, yeah, like these these were the soldiers of the Cold War who were really getting their hands dirty. And failing. Yeah, I mean, failing. But everything of, was bungled, right? Yeah, like that's kind of the, the ultimate point of this movie is that I guess it's a happy ending in that they find out the mole. Yeah. But they're no none further of are, ahead of where they were. They're not learning anything more about the Russians and they're not doing their jobs well. They're more interested in, half of them are more interested in their career than they are in saving the country. And you can see that even Gary Oldman's character is is doing this to redeem his reputation and they tell him at the beginning, like, he doesn't want to do it. He's like, no, I'm enjoying my little swims. Yeah. uh, And going to the glasses shop. Mm -hmm. But they're like, no, it's your reputation. Come on. Like, you don't want to blow it. And he's He's like, like, "Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then at the end, when he gets restored as head of the circus, and he sits he, down. Yeah, and he's seat. and he's just so happy, right? And yeah, hey. like these guys are opportunistic little bastards who oh, just want to climb the. That was the other thing that I wanted to talk about. That amazing room, awful room. The I guess the head of control or whatever. Control the, the head of the circus. Yeah. The head of the circus. Yeah, it's this padded room, this bunker that they have in the office. And it's oh a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a soundproof room, but it's this god awful seventies orange. Like yeah. oh, it's and just so terrible. And there's a bunch so of them in there. Like it looks yeah. like it looks like the worst place in the world. Yeah, and they're like all jammed shelter. in there. Oh, it's so terrible. Yeah. But the final shot of the movie is just it's Gary Oldman as Smiley sitting down at the head of that table, and he it's chuffed. Well, he yeah. smiles, which is ironically. Not too yeah. common an occurrence for this character, despite his name. I guess that's the irony of his name. But it's kind of a disturbing smile. Are you really happy for this? Because there's a yeah. lot of shit that just happened. It's almost like a a shot at the intelligence community, right? As much oh, as... absolutely. It was a shot at the yeah. intelligence community. Oh, I knew what the other thing that I wanted to point out was. Um, and this struck me right at the beginning of the film, but you get so wrapped up in it that I couldn't come back to it. It's one of the very first scenes. It's when... Um, two of these Weasley guys, they're trying to get funding for this thing called witchcraft. They're trying to get funding from the minister for this, and he's sitting there, and he's fucking buttering his toast. Yeah. And he's like... How British. Explain to me why this is important. And was and there crust like, on that toast? No, there was not. <laughs> Some bureaucrat cut that crust off that toast. But what made that scene priceless was the sound. This yeah. super crisp 
ridiculously loud sound of him buttering his toast and the look on the two guys' faces just going like, can you put the goddamn toast down for a second and just listen to what we are saying? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, was, and it basically sets the tone for the whole movie. It would be funny if it wasn't, if there weren't so many lives on the line, yeah. you know? Uh, Gary Oldman's been nominated for a lead actor and it's gotten nominated for the adapted screenplay. Do you think there's anything else that it should have gotten nominated for? I think I think the cinematography and the uh, and the set design should have also gotten recognized, but yeah, I don't know. Gary Oldman, I thought was uh, was really very good, um, mm-hmm. and and he should have been. I mean, not that he spoke a lot, but again, another one of those movies where so much is conveyed by not speaking. And yep, it's a performance that is about your visual expressions and not what you're saying. And not how yeah. loud you're saying it. Certainly not how loud you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't really pay too, too much attention to the other stuff. I have basically the cinema viewing spectrum of a twelve-year-old, so, eleven-year-old. <laughs> As I can tell, looking uh, at your film collection right thank now. You. Yeah, the costumes I thought were pretty cool. They all had French cuffs. <laughs> yeah. That I noticed. <laughs> all right. Anything else you want to say, Cal, before we depart? No, I think I'm good. But we should definitely have another podcast on Air Force One. A full podcast devoted to Air Force One. Alright, I'm turning it off now. Alright. Say goodbye. Goodbye! Okay, that's it for now. I really do think it's a shame that this film hasn't gotten more nominations than it did. It really is delicately crafted. Not only in how the scenes are edited together, but in the art direction and in the costume designs as well. But such is the fickle nature of the Academy Awards. I will leave you uh, with one last parting word from Cal, who can become surprisingly aggressive and territorial when you give him too much alcohol. Get off my plane. (laughs) 